The Grancidillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Thank you so much, Mike. It is fabulous to have you here. This is our first Dells on the Malibu campus this year, and we've had some wonderful events so far, and we're looking forward to this event this evening. Uh, before I introduce our very special guest, I do want to do a few introductions and give you a little bit of an update on a couple things going on in the school. Uh, but first, I would like to mention a couple of folks that we have with us. Uh, Michael Okabayashi is with us. He's a member of our Board of Regents for the university. So, Michael, we are thrilled to have you with us. And I want a special thanks to Andrew Mescon. Andrew is, I think he was at the back last time I saw him. He is the president of our Malibu, back here at the back, right, at Malibu Graduate Business Society, so kind of our student body president. He's graduating in about a month, I guess. And he's just really been a fabulous supporter of this program. And uh, many of our students are here probably tonight because he told you you needed to be here tonight. So, uh, so we appreciate that, and Andrew, all your support through the years. And I actually want to introduce my husband, Brad Livingstone, who's here. He, uh, this is a really special night because this is only the second Dells he's been to because he's usually out carting our daughter around at volleyball. So, Jerry, you're really special that he would come to be here for you because I know it's because you're here, not because I'm here. <laughs> So let me share just a few things that are going on in the school that we're really quite excited about. Um, our students each year, groups of our students participate in the Association for Corporate Growth Challenge Cup here in Southern California, and that's with schools like USC, UC Irvine, Loyola Marymount, and so on. And our team actually won the competition this year, so we're very excited about that. And I believe is Clay here, Clay Wyatt. I think we were going to. Clayton, right here, is one of the members of that team, so congratulations. We're really proud of you guys for doing that. Uh, our fully employed MBA program was also named this week uh, again uh, for one of the top 50 fully employed MBA programs in the country, so we're very excited about that and the continued recognition that that program is getting. Parallel to this event going on in Malibu, we have an event going on in Orange County tonight, and we had a similar event in West L.A. last night called From Harm's Way to Civilian Employment. Uh, we have a number of our faculty and friends of the school that are working closely with the military and helping to prepare people, uh, veterans coming back uh, to find employment, and so we're really thrilled about that opportunity and the work that some of our faculty are doing. Uh, if any of you have connections in the military area and are interested in knowing more about what we're doing, let one of us know on the staff. We think that's an important service we can provide and, and look forward to serving that population in an even more significant way in the years ahead. And then some events coming up you should know about. Uh, we are a, a Going back into the Pasadena market, we were in for a while and moved out of. We uh, will start a program there in the fall, so we have an information session on April 3rd at the Pasadena Sheraton. So if you have friends in that area that need an MBA, uh, send them to that and let them know that we're coming back to that region. We also have on <clears throat> on March 22nd, coming up next week, a small business breakfast on building your brand through social media. I have some alums that are going to be speaking at that, and that's going to be in Santa Monica. So if you're interested in kind of small business issues and particularly social media, that will be a great event to participate in. 
On April 12th, uh, we are hosting our George Awards. It's an opportunity for our board in the business school to recognize some outstanding students and alumni at that activity. And I believe it's Dave Denneke here. Dave is being recognized as the George Award winner as an outstanding student from the full-time program. So we will look forward to recognizing you formally there, but we're glad to have you with us tonight, Dave. <laughs> And finally, uh, we have uh, our next Dean's Executive Leadership Series event will be on April 24th. We'll be down in Anaheim uh, <clears throat> with the uh, LA Angels. And we'll have with us Dennis Kuhl, who's the chairman of the Angels, and we'll be at Angel Stadium. So uh, we hope that you will put that on your calendars and join us for that event in about a month. That will be great fun as well. Uh, but tonight, we're just uh, extremely privileged to have with us really one of the uh, great names in basketball, and particularly in NBA basketball. We're thrilled to have Jerry West with us. As all of you know, he had a tremendous career with the Lakers, uh, but excelled also as a coach, as a general manager. He's now with the Golden State Warriors uh, on, on their executive board in an advisory capacity. And I could go on and on about all the accolades he's had through the years, but you know all of those, and I don't need to do that. You'd much rather listen to him share uh, some of his insights and wisdom with you. Uh, but I would like to mention, uh, he does actually have a long uh, relationship with Pepperdine. He uh, was very good friends with uh, Gary Colson, who was a coach, the basketball coach at Pepperdine, when they moved from the LA campus to here in Malibu. Um, the Lakers actually practiced at the LA campus uh, in the early years of the Lakers, and so Jerry practiced on that campus down uh, on, at 79th in Vermont. And his wife, Karen, is a Seaver College graduate, and his son, David, is a graduate of the Grazie Dio School. So there's a lot of connections between Pepperdine and the West family. So it is just really a, a privilege and an honor to have you with us tonight. So I'm going to ask you to come up and share some thoughts with us. Thank you very much. Um, you know, it's really a privilege to be invited here tonight. Um, actually, it's a privilege to be invited anywhere because I don't work the Lakers anymore. So, <laughs> so thanks for having me. Um, you know, I think most people, um, when you get to a certain point in your life, you, you really become very reflective of what's important in your life. And, and uh, I think some of the lessons you've learned in your life. And um, I'm going to try to relay those and not talk very much about basketball tonight. Some of the lessons I've learned um, in life, I think, have allowed me to live a life far beyond my expectation. And more importantly, uh, to do something with my life that when I was a little boy, that's all I would thought about, to be something other than a kid from a poor household and, and a small little community to where I could actually do something to help others. And my life, that's what my life is about today, trying to do things for others and help others. But uh, just a little background on, on where I'm from. I'm from West Virginia. Uh, I love being from West Virginia, even though I've been a butt of a lot of jokes. Um, I grew up in a small little community, about 500 people, three boys and three girls in our family. And uh, it wasn't a very pleasant place to grow up, to be honest with you. Uh, I've written a book, and some of you will have a copy of it. Um, it's, it's not the prettiest childhood uh, to grow up in, and uh, more importantly, the environment wasn't very good to grow up in. But I think there's so many things that I took away from that uh, that I want to share with you today. <clears throat> Very early age in my life, um, because I didn't want to go home because I was afraid what was going to be waiting for me there, um, I developed a great fondness for being outside, uh, the woods, the water. 
And along the way, I picked up this little round basketball that um, just something to do. A very big loner in my life. Um, wasn't particularly uh, very socially inept, by the way, for a long time in my life. And I learned a lot of lessons um, because if you don't have anything, one of the things you can do is to have a work ethic. And so if I wanted to buy something, I wanted to be the best at whatever I did. I wanted people to hire me at a very early age. And so I loved the outdoors, I loved fishing, and so one of the things that people many times wanted to do is cut grass. Well, I was the one that everyone would choose because there wasn't anything that wasn't immaculate. So my bank was hidden under the rug in our house and during the winter my mother would be cleaning and She'd go over and find this lump over there, and it'd be money hidden under it I didn't know I had. And so that's how I sort of supported my habits. Uh, my habits were fishing and hunting and basketball. Um, I think when you grow up in a place where, I guess the best word would be diminished expectations, um, there's not a lot you can do except to have an imagination. I think one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard um, Albert Einstein said, many times imagination is much more important than intelligence. And believe me, in my case, it was. Um, I have very vivid imagination. Little did I know I was an early goal setter in my life. And I had this tremendous drive to excel. Why would you, why would you have that? I'm not sure. But I think because I spent so much time for myself, I was wishing for something better than what I saw. And frankly, I saw it. I saw it because of a sport. I had a chance to have an education. I could have gone to almost any school, Ivy League schools included. And at that time, everyone thought athletes were dumb, and boy, there are a lot of us that still are, by the way. <laughs> um, but I wanted to go to my state university. It was really important to me. Uh, people in West Virginia, a uh, lot said about them. They're hardworking, wonderful people. And it's a place that I wanted to go, and thank God I went there. Um, a place where I thrived as an uh, athlete in particular. And toward the end of my life uh, as an athlete, I started to thrive as a student. And so many, so many of my childhood dreams, um, high school, uh, we won the state high school basketball championship, and I used to dream as a little boy. I said, "Oh my gosh, I wish I could. We could just a high school could just go to the state championship." And when I went there uh, to play for the state championship, we won the state championship. I set all the scoring and rebounding records that I don't think still have been broken to this day. Is it something I'm proud of? No, not really. It's just something I did because I love to compete. Oh my gosh, that's still so important in my life to be able to compete. But through that, as I say, opportunities arose where I could go to school anywhere. But West Virginia was an easy choice. Um, I find a very funny story. I, I, at that point in time, you know, and I know schools don't cheat today, but um, my, father, <laughs> my father made $450 a month raising six kids, and, and obviously the coal mines would go on strike. and, and uh, so pretty soon you'd be eating the same thing for a week in a row, and it wasn't a whole lot of fun. And uh, so here I come, West Virginia. 
But it, as I say in the process, um, I had some pretty interesting offers, okay? And I'm going to tell you about one of them. Um, school from Texas, and I'm not going to remember say who the school was. Um, I was one of the few athletes, there were two of us that were in the country, they were very prominent. And um, I was one of the few athletes that was recruited west of the Mississippi. So I played a high school all-star game against a team from Kentucky. And Kentucky is supposed to have two of the best players in the country going there. And uh, the first night, I shot 19 shots, and I made 17. Had 25 rebounds, had, I think, 50 points and 25 rebounds. Next night, 47 points and 22 rebounds. After the first game, this gentleman from Texas, a school in Texas, and it was in Texas, by the way, he came up, he came up to me and he said, he said, look, he said, I've never seen a basketball player like you, and of course, I was the most bashful person in the world. If anyone would say anything to me, and in particular, a girl would come up to me, my goodness, I was going to run the other way, um, terribly shy. But he came up to me and he said, you know, we really need you to go to school here. Uh, you can change the fortunes of our basketball program. And I said, well, you know, I really am very much interested in West Virginia. I appreciate your interest. And now this guy could have been a hell of an actor, okay, <laughs> I'm telling you. Pretty soon, there's tears running out of his eyes, okay. <laughs> and I'm watching this and I'm dropping my head down and I said, well, what's going to happen here? He said, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give you $1,500 a month to go to school. And this was 1956, okay? I'm saying, oh my God, I'm going to make three times as much of my dad because I'm going to school. <laughs> and um, then he said, I'm going to buy you a brand new car. And then he said, I'm going to marry you to the richest girl in Texas. <laughs> well, it was all pretty interesting when it came down to the end. <laughs> Because, number one, we didn't have a car in our family. No one could drive. And I'd never had a date in my life. So um, it didn't work. It didn't work. But I went to West Virginia University, and I had a numerous stories. And, and I think the, the coronation or the, the ending blow was I came home from school one day. It was a nice May day in West Virginia, and I hadn't declared what school I was going to. And I come home. And my mother, in the South, everyone has a swing. My mother was sitting out there in a chair, and there were three coaches, college coaches, sitting there, waiting for him to come to school. So I get there, and again, I'm extremely shy, extremely shy. And so I thought my mother that would be there to protect me, you know, from these big bad wolves. <laughs> so I get there, and I knew the coaches, and they all said hello to me, and I finally said, um, I said, well, you, maybe you are getting closer to make a decision. I said, well, you know, I, I think I am, yes. And my mother immediately spoke up and said, well, look, she said, I don't need to be part of this conversation. I only want him to go to West Virginia University. So um, one of the life's most awkward moments. Your mom announces where you're going to school, and I'm sitting here talking to these three coaches. So it was an ugly, ugly conversation with these guys. But the next day I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I called the coach of West Virginia, and I went to school there. Well, the things that happened in college were incredible. Um, as I say, I was the most backward, shy, awkward, so completely socially inept. And I had three, I had two roommates, and one of them is my dearest friend today um, uh, from West Virginia. 
and um, we and I became steadfast friends and he would go out with the girls and I'd go to the movie or the pool hall so you know how hard I was studying and um, but we had an undefeated freshman team then that you couldn't play as a freshman and our varsity was ranked the, fifth, the first the fourth team they, they were supposed to be the fourth best team in the country and we used to beat them all the time in practice so the coach wouldn't let us play them anymore okay so <laughs> But uh, it was really the start of a growth of, of a, a very stunted person um, uh, trying to fit into a, a really a completely different kind of social scene and uh, more importantly to try to learn how to live with people. Um, my sophomore year we had the number one team in the country, um, won all kind of accolades except the NCAA championship. My junior year um, we went to the NCAA finals and we were beaten by Cal by one point. Uh, start of two very dubious honors I've had, by the way. In uh, my senior year, we got upset, I think, in the third round of the tournament when we had another great team. But the greatest thrill I ever had in my life, through all of my basketball career, was being able to represent the United States as Olympian. Winning a gold medal in Rome was um, one of the most incredible things that anyone could experience. And I'm not sure how many of you have ever felt like you're the most special person in the world. Uh, I have, and that was the start of it, okay? Uh, there were two of us that got to receive the gold medal. And one of the, my counterpart and probably the most respected opponent I played against was his name was Oscar Robertson. And we were the co-captains of this team. And we won by an average of 41 points a game. There had been, we're an amateur team. We weren't professional. We were amateur. And to get there was a really a task to get there. But I will tell you, um, I've heard two songs in my life that have stirred my emotions, even today. And to get up there and represent our country with everything that was going on in the war, the Cold War, threat of nuclear war, communism. And it was a wonderful book written by David Marmonis called The 1960 Olympics, The Olympics that Changed the World. It's an incredible book, and it's really not about the Olympics. It's about all the political upheaval in this country, all the threats. But when they played the Star Spangled Banner, I wish that each and every one of you would have known what my body felt like. Most incredible feeling. And every time I hear the national anthem, it never changes. And it all goes back to that day. The other song that was horrible was Taps. At 13 years of age, I had a brother killing career. Um, probably, has anyone in this room lost a, someone in the military? I'll tell you, it's devastating. Um, he was the one in my family who paid attention to me. And we were getting letters three months after he died, and, and every letter he had tell Jerry to keep working hard in school and still working on his basketball. Knowing he's dead, um, it's like you're being teased. And when they buried him, I, I'd hear that song. Every time I hear that, I remember that cold January day in West Virginia. How your brother's not coming out. And I said that day, I said, if I can ever do anything uh, to honor him, I'm going to do it. 
and I had an opportunity to do that by going to school. He never saw me play. And uh, probably maybe one of the saddest things in my life. But I did have a chance to do something real special for him, and I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. But anyway, I graduated from school, was the second player taking a draft, started in Los Angeles 1956, and I'm going to, and, and 1960 rather. And I'm going to tell you how big the Lakers were in the, then. Um, there were three local newspapers, okay? Three. We were on the back page of every newspaper. Can you imagine Magic Johnson, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant getting in the back seat of a big truck and going out in the neighborhood and saying, please come out and watch us play the New York Knicks tonight. <laughs> I don't think that would have worked very well, okay, for those guys. But it was the start of an incredible journey for me. Uh, and it ended up with today being the last page of the newspaper at the most popular and successful sports team in town, the Lakers. And I think I had a small part of that, not only as a player, but as a coach, but as an executive. It, it's really something I'm very proud for about. Um, you know, I don't, as I say, I don't work for the Lakers anymore. Um, obviously, I'm very fond of them. And um, I wish them well, and I always wish them well because it's just a huge part of my life. But I really want to get to the guts of maybe who I am and the things I've learned in my life. Um, when I was going to school, it was a chore for me to read. As a player, I never slept. I couldn't sleep after a game. So I started reading, but I read only for pleasure. But something changed after you know, I started becoming more aware of circumstances in the world and, and people who had been important in the world. And it became my goal, and it still is my goal, to learn something different every day. Get up every morning, try to help someone or do some good for someone else. But reading is my passion now. And I say, I read books that are meaningful. And I'm going to talk about some of those books, and I'm going to tell you why I think you should read them. But anyway, during this period of time, I had an opportunity to coach the Lakers. But I think maybe the thing I was most proud of is I had someone to believe in me that I could be an executive. No formal training. I didn't go to a business school, by the way. Not at all. But I drew on what I learned as an athlete. Being an executive is about building a team, a team where you're not the focus of the team. I don't like titles. I don't like titles. I don't like titles because everyone knows who the boss is. I don't like micromanagers at all. Why insult someone who's graduated from a credible school like this in business and go around telling him what to do? Um, that doesn't make sense to me. I believe that you encourage people to come forward, be, have different ideas, challenge your thinking, think outside the box, and also believe in a family-like atmosphere. And why would I believe that? Because I had none. But for Jerry Buss to have confidence in me to think I could do something as an executive was, frankly, extremely flattering. And we had enormous success. 
People talk about basketball experts. There's no basketball experts. There's none. Some people have a better educated guess, but there's no basketball experts. Some young man came up to me and the Lakers traded Derek Fisher today. Okay? He said to him, what do you think about it? It looked like he was, looked like he was heartbroken. Unfortunately, folks, you know, if you're an athlete, there's one opponent you don't defeat. That's Father Time. And it's time for Derek to move on, as it will be for Kobe Bryant, as it will be for every great Laker player that's been here. They have to move on. And it seemed like one of the things I would say to each and every one of you, if you're involved in something that you love, Confucius said, find an occupation you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I have never worked a day in my life. Not one. Okay, not one. And I think it's so important to create an environment where people come to work, not for a paycheck, but to come there because they're loving what they do. And you can't do that unless you work with people that have great respect for what you do and also make you feel part of an organization. Don't pigeonhole talent. I told you some books I've read along the way that I would suggest each and every one of you read, and for different reasons. Um, about a lady who is crippled. Um, her name is Laura Hildenbrand. She's written two books that I would recommend both anyone read. One was about a horse, okay? A book called Sea Biscuit. They made a movie about it. To me, Sea Biscuit was not a horse. It was a person. And the reason it was a person was because here's someone that no one cared about. One horse that no one, he was mean as hell. I mean, she was mean as hell. No one cared about this horse. They had a crazy old guy that everyone thought he was crazy. And he saw some potential in this horse. He couldn't get near it, it was so mean. They tried to put animals in there with him. He'd kick the animals out. But he finally put a dog in there with this horse. This is one of the greatest stories I've ever read. Um, to me, it almost reminded me of when I was a kid. I felt I was that racehorse who was neglected, no one paid any attention to, but it had a talent that let, would let it achieve if you had an avenue for it to escape. And she wrote another book called Unbroken. It's about a story about Louis Zamprini. He was a world-class miler. Everyone thought he was going to break the world record, break four-minute mile before anyone else. He went to SC. Went to the Second World War. He gets shot down. He floats around the ocean for 60 days, washes up on an island. And it's a Japanese-held island. And he was famous. And his enormous to succeed and live, his spirit, you can feel it when you read this book. He wasn't going to die. He was tortured. He was everything. And there was one scene in this book that I thought was really ironic. Um, he'd gone to class at SC, and there was a Japanese kid with him in class. And they moved him to another prison camp. 
And when he goes into another prison camp, he turns around and looks, and here's this young man who's in a Japanese uniform, okay? But to see all the things he went through and his courage, and God, do you need courage sometimes? You really need courage. It's an amazing book, absolutely amazing book. And, you know, we all talk about words and, you know, we say a lot of words. Do any of you pay any attention to the origin of words or not? There's a wonderful book called Aspire by Donald Hall. He talks about what a leader is, okay? Best definition I've ever heard of a leader. He says it's of Indo-European origin. L-E-A means path, and D-E-R means finder, okay? And why should that be so meaningful for me? And why should it be so meaningful for you? You have to think back in time. Who were the leaders? The people that were taking people to find food, to find water, to find places to harvest food, to find animals to kill and eat. People followed them. People follow them. And I think it's the best definition of a leader that I have ever heard in my life because it makes you think. Another great word, humility. Humility. If you're good at something, you don't have to tell anyone. You don't tell anyone. Fred Franks, who was a Gulf War commander, had another great quote on on leaders, he said, <clears throat> the spotlight should be on the lead and not the leaders. The leader who speaks the spotlight for himself is leader by definition only. So true. So true. Another writer I like a lot, Malcolm Gladwell, wrote two books, Blink. I'm a Blink person, okay? I disseminate information very quickly. Um, I trust my instincts in incredibly because they serve me pretty well. Are you right all the time? No. And he wrote another one called The Outliers. And I think back to where, when I was a little boy, uh, he's always talking about if you're going to do something at a very high level, you have to do it for 10,000 hours, okay? I wonder how many thousand hours I put out there. And I wonder how many thousand hours all these other incredible athletes and, and people who have accomplished far more than the athlete could accomplish. I wonder, because it is true. Find something you love, go for it. Don't let anyone deter you until you can't do it. I think probably when I look back in my life, probably, probably the times that were the most stressful, painful for me was an executive. But when we first started out, we didn't have very, very many people working for it. The Lakers weren't like they are today. You know, they're, they're a significant brand. And I had three ladies I worked with, okay, that um, I learned more from than anyone. One of them was my assistant. She's now deceased. Another one ran the forum. She's still alive. Um, 
and another one was head of human resources. And I've often thought, if I, these people, these three women hadn't been in my life, would, would I have learned how to treat people? Because they treated me like a dog. <laughs> All of them. I loved these women so much, you can't believe it. I mean, I did things for them that was ridiculous. I mean, I'd send them on vacations to Europe, to Hawaii, to everywhere. I'm not sure I did it because I really respected them because I wanted them to get off of my fanny all the time. <laughs> but I learned how to appreciate other people's abilities. And the other thing, I went to school in West Virginia. I didn't go to school with one black person, not one, not one. And yet the people I have the most respect for and had the greatest time with were my black athlete friends. It's incredible to go that what we do to each other, the names, the names, the, the horrible things that are said about one another out of two words, envy and jealousy. Two worst words in the world, envy and jealousy. And the press can be extremely praise. They can write wonderful things about you. And the next day, they can write something that's enormously painful and simply not true because you've lost a game. I don't change when or, win or lose. I don't change. I never did change in my life. So I always looked at the press as a balance to who I was as a person. Um, I never took myself seriously, and I still don't take myself seriously. But what I did when I worked, I took, I took my work very seriously. No one was going to outwork me. No one. And to have a relationship in a fickle, the most fickle world that you can, it's like being a president, okay, in this country. It's like being a president. Uh, if you win all the time, and if every, everything is great, the economy great, everyone working, oh my God, this is the greatest president in the world. One thing can happen, and he's a bum, okay? Complete bum. The same people who voted for him won't vote for him the next time around because, you know, things are not great. That person's no different. He's no different. He's trying to do the best possible job to manage something that's unmanageable. But I think I really have, at this point in my life, my life is about giving. My life is about helping others. And I told you that I did something to honor my brother, okay? West Virginia University is, in West Virginia, is so important to me. I have a home in West Virginia. I live there two and a half months every year. I'll never forsake that state. I will never, ever forget it. And I've been fortunate enough to make some money in my life that have allowed me to do some pretty special things down there. So I thought, I was trying to think of something that would serve my brother well, but more importantly would serve students and preserve his name to perpetuity. And there's a learning center at West Virginia that has four giant rooms in it. And I bought one of those rooms and it's the David West Learning Center. I will tell you that the letters that I receive from mothers, fathers, and students thanking me for helping them get an education because they're having a tough time in the class and there's a tutor there, most gratifying thing in the world. Absolutely gratifying. I have a large scholarship fund for minorities and students of needs, and obviously basketball. Um, there's another large fund of money there to 
put a lot of kids through school. That's been my gift to the university. It's been my gift to, the, to my brother. And it's something today that really drives me. I've had a life that you couldn't possibly imagine. If you, my kids, I have five boys, three from first married and two from a second married. And my kids have often gone back to Cabin Creek, West Virginia, okay? And they always say to me, what in the world did you do back here? <laughs> I said, a lot, a lot to do. Well, what? They didn't have a car. I said, I could run like hell. <laughs> I said, well, I could climb those mountains like crazy. I could go fishing all day. I could shoot basketball. I could go in the woods. I could do all these things. And it's amazing how much farther along our kids are today because they have so much more information available. But I wonder, do they have too much too soon? They have too much too soon. And my kids have been very privileged. They've met the most important people in the world. They've been all over the world. And in some ways a blessing and a curse. But I think at the end of the day, they've been great kids. Um, they haven't done anything to, I want to kill them. <laughs> but um, as I say, I, I, I do believe in that. <clears throat> Let me tell you some of the things I've been doing for my life here recently. <clears throat> I've got an affiliation with the Warriors, <clears throat> and I hope we kick the Lakers' asses <clears throat> going forward, because I am competitive, okay? I'm very competitive. And I say I love the Lakers and love Jerry Buss, but it's important that we kick their fannies, okay? And we're going to do it. Um, the other thing I've done, I'm the executive director of the Northern Trust Open Golf Tournament, okay? It's probably, the, probably one of the most meaningful things I've ever done, and let me tell you why. Because it is about giving back to a city that's embraced me. Um, we have, we gave a million, first year we gave a million five hundred thousand dollars to local charities. The last two years we've given a million six hundred thousand dollars to local charities. And there's some wonderful programs, and I will tell you one of them, and it's about golf. It's called the First Tee. We take kids from areas that are less than desirable, where they can go to a city golf course. They can hit golf balls free. They can play nine holes of golf. <clears throat> they can get instructions. <clears throat> but more importantly, you should see the growth in these kids. It's just amazing what these kids are. They're so polite. Um, we had them, I had a hundred as my guest at the golf tournament this year. I gave them a hat, a shirt, uh, a program, uh, food, and then we had one of the best professionals give them, give them a demonstration how it's really done. And I will tell you, it's one of the most gratifying things, but every time I see those kids, every year, you see them every year, you see these kids play golf. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. I can't believe it. But the growth in them is, is people. You can see they're really proud of what they've accomplished. And just because people will give their time and their effort to try to help someone who's in need. And if any of you in this room have any influence over people, I will promise you one other thing. If you grab some kid who's over there and he's kind of looks like, you ever see a stray dog? Pretty sad looking, isn't it? I used to look at myself as a stray dog. I was sad, very sad, because I had no one to pay any attention to me, 
And all I wanted to do was somebody to say hello to me. But you'll take a kid sometime and just grab him, point him over to you. And if he knows who you are, I, I will tell you, I can't tell you how many kids in my life have said, I remember when you played for the Lakers or, or you can, I came up to you and you gave me a hug and threw me the basketball and let me shoot one. An enormous amount of time. They never forget things like that. We have more hardships today from young kids than ever. We're forgetting them. If I have any pet peeve with the government, it would be education, and also we've forgotten our military. There's over 800,000 military men and women who are unemployed. And at this golf tournament, we have a, a tent for them. It's called the Military Outpost. Anyone who's been in the service or fought in the service, any wounded warrior, uh, they come there free of charge, um, courtesy Annenberg Foundation. And it's been really rewarding to go there just to see how these people react to someone showing and paying attention to them, make them feel better. Another group, we, we gave five $20,000 grants, okay? And then what you think, $20,000, yeah, it's a lot of money, but yes, not a money to a charity. But there's one group of young ladies, women, they're all married, there's three of them. They want a grant for $20,000. It's called P.S. I Love You. They take $500 every year, and they go into these neighborhoods, and they'll get talented kids, and they put them in school, and they look over them like they're their mothers. They've done so much good. And we see all these huge charities. Um, they're wonderful. But I know a lot of haircuts and, <laughs> and vacations are probably taken, but these people take nothing for this. They do it because they want to give back. And frankly, that's what my life is today. I want to help. I want to do things for people. It's what makes me feel good. It's what drives me to this point in my life. I have been so lucky. My God. If you, I mean, I could be dead. I could be dead. Some of the things I did when I was a kid, oh my gosh, you wouldn't even believe. Uh, I was a daredevil. You know, it was, it was ridiculous. And I'm still here, and I'm still trying to help and help make a difference. But I'm going to leave you with one last thought here. Um, <coughs> if I can find it. Both of them... One of them is about humility, okay? And this is what I think humility is. What you are as a person is far more important than what you are as an athlete or other endeavors in, what, in, in which you excel. As I say, find an occupation you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I, last but not least, um, I have lived my dreams, and I have fulfilled a lot of things I want to fulfill in my life. And a lot of people say, why do you continue to do things? Because I don't want to ever sit down in a rocking chair. Every day, I want to learn something different every day. I want to learn more, but also want to give more. I know it's unusual to come here and, and speak about your life and, and things have driven you. Um, I do want to thank you for the opportunity to do that. 
and I say, I have led an unbelievably unique life. It hasn't been fun along the way. I'm a very flawed person, very flawed. But I try to make up for it in many different ways, and that is to help and to give. And I thank you for having me here tonight. Um, I think we're going to answer some questions. Do you have some to answer? Is that correct? But I thank for ha thanks for having me.